My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here, and, uh, and I'm going to be uh, preaching tonight. I gave Sophia a mouthful of a text to read, sorry, um, but it's really good, and we're going to break it down a little later, but uh, that is where the hope piece comes in, but I want to spend some time at the beginning actually just meditating and thinking about death. The reality is death is not just one thing. Uh, we all process and experience death in a multitude of ways. Um, for people who are suffering and who have been sick for, an, uh, for a really long time, death is often welcomed um, as a release from that suffering. It's a mercy. It's seen as a kindness and a grace. Uh, and, and, in, and in part, we, we rejoice at that. And then sometimes, like in the case of a school shooting, uh, it's tragic. Uh, we cry out for justice. Um, we, we see it as a catastrophe. We see it as injustice. Um, and it's both of those things all the time. And so, we process death uh, differently and we experience it differently. Um, and at the same time, we experience both of those realities. The, the thing is, um, a lot of us, or some of us, think about death a lot. And some of us don't think about it at all. And I don't know which camp you fall into. Maybe you think about it sometimes. I don't know. Uh, but the reality is we don't talk about it very much at all. Someone who has some courage, shout out an answer uh, or, or a reason um, that you think your peers don't talk about it. Fear? Right. Thanks. Anybody else? It can seem far away. That's right. Especially for this age. My age too, not middle age yet, I don't think. I don't know when that starts. Um, okay, uh, it's far away. Um, we have some fear. Uh, one more. They don't know how to talk about it. That's right. Look, I, uh, I have a friend um, in, in Atlanta, and she posted this thing a few months ago uh, about death doulas, and I was like, I'm very fascinated by what a death doula is. Uh, a doula, I don't know if you know this, but doulas, the way that we mostly think about them is that it's someone who helps in the birthing process, um, that they're in the room with a mom who gives birth, um, and they help facilitate, um, they help do pain management, they help uh, be an advocate and, and talk to doctors and nurses, um, and they know your birth plan when, uh, I don't know, when emotions are haywire. Uh, they're another presence there. And, and she, she was talking about a death doula, and I was like, what is a death doula? Um, so, um, I responded to her story and asked, um, and, and she, she said at the end, she said that the idea is that there is so little conversation around death in our medical and social worlds that it's important for people to have space to think about a plan for what a good death means to them and to be a comforting presence to help make that good death possible. Death is something that we're all going to experience unless Christ returns before we die. Our text actually has something to say about that. We'll get to that at some point. But the reality is even before that, we are going to be in proximity of death. We're going to know people who pass away. Uh, you probably already know people who have passed away. Uh, and I don't know how close you are to those people, uh, and, and whether you saw it as a kindness um, or whether you saw it as a tragedy, uh, it doesn't change the fact that death is almost always hard. Death is hard, uh, but it won't last forever. So death 
uh, is a hard thing that almost always results in sadness. Uh, there's, there's very little way to get around uh, dying and sadness. Uh, because when we experience loss, we experience sadness. Uh, even if we see it as a grace, even if we see it as a mercy, we still experience sadness in the moment when the person finally passes and the reality sets in that you won't be able to, to talk to them again, uh, that you won't be able to be with them again, that whatever memories you have, you won't be there with them anymore. Uh, and that results in sadness. Uh, I've got one, one other thing maybe to read here. Uh, this is uh, from a psychologist an author, Chip Dodd, uh, who, who talks about feelings, um, and he says something really interesting, something actually um, that we'll get to in our next uh, text. He says, sadness is the loving feeling because it expresses value and honor for something or someone gone or lost. Sadness is for wealthy-hearted people. He says, sadness is often proportional the more sadness we feel after a loss, the more we often value what is lost. The more you live an open-hearted life of fullness, the more you lose. Sadness gives us the gift of valuing and honoring life. He says, when I die, I hope there will be a lot of people and great sadness at my funeral. I want people to weep about my being gone. I want them to cry because the man they knew is no longer with them. I want them to say that I was known, that I was loved, and that I mattered. And while they are honoring my life with their tears, they will be honoring their own hearts even more because they have opened their hearts to being known. Their tears will express the state of their hearts and allow them to recognize that they do indeed matter to themselves and to a, to a relationship that was important. Sadness is not mutually exclusive from hope. This is a series about hope, and the way that he talks about sadness and loss uh, is, is something I want you to see that, that in that way of talking about sadness, it's backwards thinking and backwards facing, um, that you are thinking about what is gone and honoring what was. And then looking forward is something hope, something that is yet to happen. Um, something that we want to be different, that we want to see happen, and that's forward thinking. Uh, and it's possible that both exist and coexist at the same time, that our sadness in looking back for what was gone and in our hope for looking forward for what could be. Jesus gives us a really good example of this in John 11, the death of Lazarus. It's a long chapter. I'm going to move through it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just follow with me. You'll get the idea. Uh, now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples were upset about going back to Judea because when they left, they were, uh, people were trying to kill them, so they got out of town. Uh, they're going back. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. 
Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was on the outskirts of Jerusalem, about two miles off, and Martha meets him out on the outskirts there. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. Mary comes and joins them with some friends. Uh, They call them the Jews. And when Mary uh, Mary and the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her uh, got there, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. I skipped a part. (laughs) When Mary gets there, when Jesus saw her weeping, uh, he wept. He wept. And the Jews said, see how much he loved him. So when Jesus weeps, he says, see how much he loved him. And then he tells them to go and take the, uh, the, remove the stone from the tomb and commands Lazarus to get out. And he comes out bound up. Uh, But the trick here is that Jesus weeps at Lazarus's uh, body. Uh, And as a result of his weeping, the folks who were with him uh, proclaim that he must have loved him a lot because of his weeping. His sadness, his tears are honoring the fact that Lazarus mattered and not just mattered to him, but mattered to Mary and to Martha and to all the people who were present. uh, present. The the deal is that uh, those tears um, do the work of celebrating the life, um, of saying how much it matters. And Jesus, knowing that he's about to raise him, is still weeping because for Jesus… Those things aren't mutually exclusive. Jesus recognizes that what Lazarus must have actually been through and what he was experiencing in death and how much it mattered uh, to the people around him and how much it mattered to him and it weighed heavily on him and he weeps and he's sad as a result of it. And so for us, uh, death isn't, as I said, just one thing. Uh, It's both hopeful uh, and Uh, something that is sad. I don't know if you know this, but the whole Bible is about life and death. This is something that I talked about in my core group recently, uh, that the Bible begins in life, in creation, bringing life out of nothing, and it ends in life, uh, a new creation, a recreation. And in the middle there, uh, death enters uh, the playing field. And in Genesis 3, right at the beginning, death enters the command in the beginning by God uh, is, for the, uh, is for humanity to, to be fruitful and to multiply, to flourish, to create uh, cultures, uh, to promote uh, health 
um, to promote life, to bring forth new life themselves. Um, Everything uh, that Jesus is about, everything um, that God is about uh, is life. Jesus puts it this way in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm going to read it again. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. That is the mission of God, and that is the project that he has tasked humanity with, is to bring forth life. And very early on, Adam and Eve decide to take it on their own and to decide what is good and what is evil. And in their disobedience, they bring forth death because they don't know. They don't trust God's wisdom in that moment. Um, And death enters the world, and it becomes destruction. Uh, It degrades, it deteriorates everything, all of creation. Um, And then so much of the Bible, really besides like the first two chapters and the last two chapters, um, is this movement between life and death. And at the crux of that story is Jesus, who was born into life, who lives, who's died, and then raised again. It's the same movement of the whole Bible, uh, created in death and recreation or resurrection or restoration, however you want to think about that. Um, Jesus' life exemplifies the story of the whole Bible, um, and He makes it possible for us. I think that we, we understand that God's, um, I don't know, God's goal here is life um, and that sin renders death uh, always that all sin leads to death. We spent last semester in Leviticus and we talked a bit about the sacrificial system. Uh, The sacrificial system is this fascinating thing um, that is both a burden on the people and a grace on them. Uh, It is God offering a different way uh, to satisfy that that payment of sin uh, through the death of something else. It's a substitution. Uh, And then pointing to Jesus, it is the same work um, that He does on the cross. Um, In the Old Testament, that sacrificial system was temporal. Uh, They were offering animals, or they were offering grain, and they were burning the grain and destroying it, uh, and they were slaughtering the animals. Um, And those things were temporal because they were finite. And Jesus, in His uh, infiniteness, if that's a word, um, offers a sacrifice once and for all for sins past, present, and future. The movement is towards life. Um, And the beauty in this is that while death uh, stands in opposition to God's goals for creation and God's goals for the world, God does something, I don't know, uh, creative, I guess, Uh, only something that He might think to do, um, is that He turns the instrument of opposition into an instrument of love. Um, The thing that stands in opposition uh, to a relationship with Him is death. And it's death, Jesus' death, that provides the path to a relationship with Him. Uh, And so, He he works through this way. Um, uh, Jason and I were talking about this earlier, and he said um, that that death has been so defanged that the sting has been taken out to get to our 1 Corinthians uh, passage, 
death is swallowed up in victory. The idea there in, in Revelation is um, that death is thrown into the lake of fire, that it's extinguished, that it's gone, and there will be no more tears and no more mourning because there will be no more death. I want to talk about 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit because uh, there was a lot of confusion about uh, newness of life and resurrection in, that, uh, in the uh, church in, in Corinth. And Paul is helping them understand some things, that their body is perishable, and as such, it can't inherit the kingdom of God, which is imperishable. That that which is perishable can't inherit what is imperishable. And this is, uh, and he calls it a mystery, so I'm not going to try to explain how this happens. He calls it a mystery, I'm going to call it a mystery, fine. Um, but he says something changes. Something changes when Christ returns. And that in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall be changed. The dead will be raised imperishable. The mortal body will put on immortality. And death will be swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And in that time, there will be no more sin. So I just want to say that death is uh, multifaceted. I want to say something that's already been said, I guess. Um, and, and what I want you to hear most of all tonight um, is that it's okay for, uh, for death to be hard. Um, it should be hard. It stands in opposition to God's goals for creation. And we should never get used to it. And your sadness does something in honoring what was lost. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean that you can't also have hope at the same time. Hope in this day. Hope that death will finally be swallowed up. Hope that is provided in the resurrection. That in that resurrection, Jesus shows us that it's not only possible, that he's doing it. Um, and that, uh, that he, the fact that he is not dead uh, shows who reigns. It says, oh, death, where is your victory? It's a mocking. Death has no victory anymore. But Jesus destroys death in his resurrection, and he will come again to destroy it once and for all. And that is where our hope should lie. So when we're met with something like injustice, and when we're met uh, with searing loss and frustration, and we don't have words we can both be sad and be hopeful. We've ended this series, uh, we're going to end this series, uh, it's on the back of your card, or I don't know what you call this, is it a card? It's bigger than a card, right? A big bookmark, <laughs> I guess. Um, we're looking at death, judgment, and hell, and all the promises we have in store. And it says, Christian, what is your hope? My only hope in this life is that I belong, body and soul, in this life and the next, to Jesus Christ our Lord.